This is the You Could Be a Therapist podcast. I'm Sophie Kent. Welcome to season two of You Could Be a Therapist. Hi, I'm Sophie, and I'm so glad you tuned in to today's episode. I am a pre-licensed therapist working in private practice in the state of Florida. I specialize in working with individuals struggling with anxiety and OCD, and I started this podcast as a way to serve the next wave of counselors, the potential therapist. My two greatest hopes for this show are to demystify the process of becoming a therapist and to provide practical tools and resources for those interested in becoming a therapist themselves. I do this through Counselor Journey episodes where I'll interview a therapist about their personal journey entering the mental health profession, and solo episodes where I cover a topic relevant to starting the process of becoming a counselor, beginning grad school, and more. Today, my colleague Mary is joining us to share her counselor journey. This means we'll get to hear Mary share her experience of how she entered the counseling profession and where she is now. Mary is one of the practice owners at the Anxiety Center of Tampa, which is the private practice where I also get to see clients. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know what an awesome person and therapist Mary is, and I'm very, very thankful to have her join the podcast today. So Mary, thank you for being here. Thank you, Sophie. Before we get started with your story, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and share just a little bit of where you are now in your career as a clinician and who you get to work with. Yeah, of course. Uh, Like you said, my name is Mary and I am one of the co-owners of Anxiety Center of Tampa, where we specialize in treating anxiety and OCD related disorders. I have worked for over about 10 years in the mental health field. And so now I find myself being the co-owner of a practice doing what I love. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're an LMHC, right? And a licensed mental health counselor. Correct. Licensed mental health counselor and newly qualified supervisor. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. I'm so curious. When you were growing up, when you were a kid, um, I know that you maybe grew up in Miami, right? Like during those years and times, what did you think about your career, like for your future at that time? Well, like I've shared with you before, I, when I was little, I thought I was going to be an astronaut and not actually, no, not an astronaut specifically because I never thought about myself going into space, but you love but, space, but I love space, love mm-hmm. learning about it, love reading about it. So I thought I'd be somewhere in the ast- astronomy field and quickly moved away from that because it was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, even though I still you, as you know, from my office and my things, my personal belongings, they're all space decorated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Different things throughout high school, uh, early college is really what defined my choice in seeking something that was a little bit more fulfilling for me and that mm-hmm. just kind of felt or fell within like my strengths. And that's how I found myself being a mental health counselor. Yeah, so it's not something you really expected to go into when you were a kid. You loved space, and you still love space, like we said. Mm -hmm. When did that begin to shift? You mentioned like high school, looking for something that was more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Um, What were like signals to you that something that was fulfilling was not space science related? Um, So 
the space thing I moved away from much earlier. I don't remember exactly what age. In high school, I thought I was going to be an interior designer. The school that I went to is it's it's kind of like a magnet school and they have different programs. So I actually was originally in the FFA. I was in the Future Farmers of America Association in in high school and I was in the agri-science biotechnology uh, mm-hmm. like magnet program. And I ended up there because I really wanted to go to that school. But that whole time I, I thought I was going to be an interior designer. It wasn't until a little bit later I realized doing mental health counseling was something that I was more interested in just because it, like I said before, it's, it's really, it speaks to my strengths and being a great listener Uh, being able to communicate with people, being able to build relationships with people very quickly and making people comfortable sharing things with me. And it was something that I found very fulfilling. So, but that wasn't really until college. Hmm. The skills that you listed about being able to build relationships quickly, like to being around people can make people feel comfortable. I feel like those skills would help someone do well in a lot of different professions or different careers. I'm wondering what was the thing that drew you to mental health counseling outside of like you had the skills for it, but was there anything like inward that drew you towards the field? So that's a really good point. I agree 100%. And I actually would like to change how I said it in terms of skills. I think that's more of a personal characteristic or a personal trait. Uh, more so than a skill. I think it is a trait that you can build off of and Mm -hmm. develop into a, you know, a better skill. But I do think those are more so traits that I do, that I have been told I possess and that I I do believe I I have. I think empathy is one of the ones that go in there as well. That is, it's not that it doesn't come by easily, but I do think a lot of people have a hard time allowing themselves to feel what others may feel. And that's, I think that's still another one of the traits, not so much a skill, but something you could still continue to build off of. Specifically things that actually make me want to be a mental health counselor is mostly just my, I I don't even, it's not that I want to, it's just, I have a very natural way of being interested in what somebody else is saying. And it makes me happy to help. I feel like that along with some of my personal traits just kind of led me to find that being a licensed mental health counselor would fulfill me on a daily basis if that's what I got to do for work. That inward like empathy and motivation to help mm-hmm. other people and then maybe some of those times personally where people would approach you, share with you, and then you found yourself maybe not being trained after those experiences. I think that's a also a great point. Absolutely not feeling drained. It's a lot of people actually ask me, how do you do what you do? And in my day to day with like the personal people that I know, it, I feel like it could sound rude that I have a good ability (laughs) to shut it off, but I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's essential for a therapist. I don't think that that's a bad thing whatsoever. I have the ability to sit with somebody and genuinely care. But then I also have the ability to walk away from it until 
it's necessary again. And that's not meant to be in a I don't care way or I've forgotten way. It's more of a this is how I self-care way and this is how I preserve my ability to help you take care of you when we are sitting across from each other. And that's a great point, too, because I think that some people, when they think about mental health counseling, don't necessarily think of that part. Like, I've had a lot of people ask me, like, are you always thinking about your clients and, like, always hoping they're okay and questions like that? And I I answer similarly, like, well, no, not really. I, I have to accept that I can only do so much for my clients and that happens in the room during their session. And once mm-hmm. that time is over, you know, they're released to the world for the week until they see me again. Like, I don't have, like, power Mm-hmm. you know, to, to change their day to day. And if that came more naturally to you, I think that's something that is hard to learn for people. Absolutely. I, I agree. And it's, it's not like I don't ever think about them, period. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I have patients and I spend an hour a week with them every week. And that's a lot more time than I spend with a lot of people in my personal life. So, day to day, week to week, there are things that might remind me, oh, this reminds me of so-and-so and and this reminds me of this person. It's more so the ability to not allow that to leak further than just a, oh, like this reminds me of that person and just kind of end it there. And and more so the, the feelings that you might feel in terms of empathy for what that person is going through it doesn't bleed into my personal feelings and my personal struggle and my personal day to day. What were some things that helped you practically move forward to pursue being a licensed mental health counselor after you kind of discovered in undergrad that you wanted to move toward it? What practical things helped you understand your next steps? Do you mean like school wise? Yeah, because, you know, we have you have this realization that you want to go into this profession and then there are obviously like a lot of next steps, um, grad school, graduating, applying places like did you have any resources or like how is that process for you? So my school was great in and of itself. They were amazing in terms of support and I relied on them a lot. At that time, I was moving from Miami to Texas to New Jersey, eventually back to Florida. My school, we did school online, but it was, you know, we had lectures, live teachers. We had, and then our school would actually place us in locations in our community. And they would coordinate with the staff to make sure that what we were learning was appropriate and up to par with what our education should be. And so, I really, really appreciated how invested in the students they were. And honestly, my, my, I don't think a lot of people know how I did my, my master's degree, but it was probably the toughest work I've ever done in my whole entire life, Mm. just because there was this added dimension of accountability that I had to do for myself. And, you know, we still had like our live classes and our teachers. And I had great relationships with all of my teachers. Um, and so in, in terms of practicality, it was, I would say just more so like the accountability piece to stay on top of the studies. Not only did I have my own goal of finishing in the two years, I knew that I was going to marry him. 
I mean, at, at least I knew that I wanted to marry him and I knew he'd wanted to marry me. So we just said, let's go for it. If, you know, what's worst comes to worst, we can always come back home. But we moved and then we never came back. Hmm. So it was more of a like dual decision. Like this is what's best for both of us. Or like you're going to Texas. I'm coming with you. Oh, it was definitely. Well, he asked me. And so mm-hmm. I said yes right away. And I'm sure that played into your moving to New Jersey. You said you lived there next. Yep. That was same reason. He got moved over there. And I, although I loved Texas and it's probably one of my favorite places I've ever been, I was excited to see other places. And so we moved there and we actually decided to stay there for a while. And we did until two winters passed and it was unbearable. And (laughs) then I actually was the one that said, I want to go back to Florida And I had been, I was already finishing my master's and it was time to start working on my pre-licensure work. And in Florida, the, because long-term we, I imagined we'd be in Florida. I said, I want to do my pre-licensure hours in Florida because I don't want to have to transfer them. So it's not like I said, this is my, it's my turn, but it was a, well, we've done your part of your career. Now it's my part of the career. And, uh, my husband is so, so supportive and Mm -hmm. that's what we did. So we moved to Florida and I did my licensure hours in the 100 weeks that is required because again, I set that forth for myself and that's what I did. And then I got my license in February, 2017. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what were some of the challenges you faced when you were in grad school? Um, what was that like for you internally as you're like learning so many new things and making new relationships, seeing your first client, what feelings did that bring up as you were going through all of that? Oh my goodness. That was very, very tough. I doing the internship and working in the mental health field right off the bat in, in New Jersey, it was it was really eye-opening for me. I think I would say I was a little naive just because I did live at home until I was 22. And the first year that I lived away was kind of like a honeymoon phase where we were so excited to just stay out late and go out every day just because we were allowed to at this point. But when we started get when I started getting down to work, and like I said, I did have a job and I did my master's and I did my internship at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was a real test for time management, self-care, balancing my social life there with my, you know, my life with my boyfriend at the time, with visiting back home, with making sure that I could come <laughs> back home. Like I'm to tired my listening to you say all those things. Yeah. With uh with lectures, with meetings with my teachers, with projects, coming back home uh, for like tests and stuff. If I had to do things down here, it was, Mm -hmm. it was very, very tough. That was 2014 to 2015. And that was probably the most stressful year of my whole life. And obviously I say that with an asterisk because it's all good stress, but it was a lot to balance. And I, I think I did I think I came out of it with some excellent time management skills 
And mm-hmm. I, I think that reinforced my whole self-care ability because I was able to put boundaries within my studying. I did have some of my you know, colleagues at the time kind of studying all of Saturday night. And that's something that I refused to do just because I knew that for me, one of the best things to do was to also give myself time to just recover and relax. And that really worked out very well for me because mm. I did very well in in my master's program. And um, I thought it was just a really great experience looking back. In the moment, it was difficult, but looking back, it was wonderful. Like I said, when you were sharing that, that, wow, I'm tired listening to you say all of those things. Like that is a, a crazy amount of things to be doing at the same time. And, you know, you know, you talked about how that season really helped you with your time management skills and with self-care. Is that when self-care began for you? Self-care the way I know it now, maybe that's where it started. Yes. Just because I did see the value of resting and prioritizing yourself. And by resting, I don't mean just like sitting in the front of the TV or taking a nap. It was resting for me. It's like traveling or seeing something new, going to a new museum, spending time with your friends. Like that all to me is like, for me personally, because I feel like I'm an extrovert is regenerative for me. I I enjoy spending time with people and I enjoy other people's company and the social aspect of life. And that for me is very therapeutic. So as you probably know, having like working alongside me, I am always doing something. And I Mm -hmm. think it's very important (laughs) for my mental health. Yes, definitely. And you mentioned even how your classmates would study on Saturday nights. And that's something you put a, you set a boundary up there and said, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not going to do that because that's going to be time that I get to do something fun, something that is refreshing to me and enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. When you finish your degree after moving all of these different places, you're coming back to Florida. I'm wondering what were some green flags you experienced like throughout that difficult year, throughout seeing your first clients, like what things came up that made you think like, oh, like I can actually do this. Because I don't know if you felt this way, but for me, wanting to be a therapist it's something that always kind of feels so far away and you don't get to actually do it until you're at that point in your program there aren't really a lot of opportunities to sit in a room and shadow one-on-one individual therapy sessions and you don't get to be in that position until you've had extensive training so I remember for me I had these moments where I was like oh my gosh it's actually time like I'm actually it's just me in the room with this person And so I'm wondering in your journey, you know, what that was like to feel like, okay, I can do this. Like, how did that happen for you? So my journey in mental health varied over the years. And I was, I got to be one-on-one with somebody during my internship. And Mm -hmm. during my internship of my master's, I, I did the intakes for a partial hospitalization program that was catered to those with schizophrenia or severe bipolar. And so I would do the intakes and then I would continue doing the groups throughout the day. 
but that was very different than what I did post-grad, which was substance abuse. And at that point I had over 50 people in my caseload. Mm -hmm. And that was very, very different because at that, at that location, I was seeing people for 30 to 60 minutes every week. And that's where I really got to develop relationships with people, like a therapeutic relationship and Mm -hmm. really, and that's where I really realized, I feel like it was more so an internal thing. And I'm all about self-praise. And (laughs) I feel like I was, I I just felt, I was like, I'm, I'm good at this. Mm -hmm. Like I can feel between the conversation between you and I, that we're getting somewhere that this is not necessarily easy for you on the other end talking to me, but I feel like I am doing well at making this a situation that you can get comfortable in. And I just started feeling a little bit more confident and uh, being able to fight that imposter syndrome that we all get, that I still get to this day. And those were just green flags for me, letting me know you're on the right path. This is, this is what you're, this is what, what, this is what you're good at. And like I said, at the beginning of today, I was really playing towards my strengths and it's nice because now I feel like I get to do what I love every single day. And it, it, it's not that it doesn't take effort, but it does feel so enjoyable that it almost feels effortless. Mm, I love that. And so for you, it was really more, like you said, of this internal realization that like this is working. Mm-hmm. Like people that I'm seeing, like I can tell they're uncomfortable, but I can also tell that we're moving in the right direction or maybe they're making progress, moving towards their goals. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful whenever you know we're in a session and someone comes in and they're really dysregulated whether mm-hmm. they're like very emotional angry crying whatever it is and then by the end of the session after we worked through whatever it is they look so much more peaceful mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we point that out and they're like oh yeah like I feel way better now mm-hmm. I think that's really that's really powerful to see and you had so many people on your caseload Uh, So you were getting to see that probably a lot, like progress was being made, goals were being achieved, and that's external, but then you also had that internal reinforcement too. Yes. Yes. And, and you do see it, you do see it sitting, sitting and observing. You often see like the angst or the, the stress that somebody can come in with. And then as soon as they're able to just share with somebody Mm -hmm. and it might not have been anything I said. It just could have been the opportunity to be heard. You can see like the visual change in how they just are carrying themselves, like whether they're just less tense or they're more relaxed or they actually say, wow, I feel like I, I feel great being able to talk about that. Um, so it's it's really nice to see that you talked about now you feel like your job is in a way effortless that you're working with your ideal population that you're loving it so much how did that happen so i like i said i used to i once i moved to florida i worked in substance abuse and i worked there for about a year and a half and while i did find it while i did learn a lot from it it wasn't 
what I felt like I wanted to do forever. Mm-hmm. So I did find myself working at a partial hospitalization program and intensive outpatient program that treats anxiety and OCD. And so I trained there and it was amazing. I, it sounds so corny to say that I fell in love <laughs> with it, but I really just found where I felt like I could not only make a difference, but where I felt personally challenged, but also fulfilled. And mm-hmm. as you know, the treatment for anxiety and OCD, especially with exposure and response prevention, which is what I specialize in, is it requires a certain personality, I feel. And that's my personality. And it fits mm-hmm. so well because I'm a very... Um, I feel like I'm a light person and I, I, I use humor and, but I, I'm good at pushing people and challenging people. And I feel like those are all things that help with the treatment of OCD. Mm-hmm. And I found myself just being able to be myself while doing my, my job. And that for me was like, I found, I, I had a goal in mind for myself. Yeah, and that's such a good commentary, too, on the idea of being a therapist in general, because I think a lot of therapists, current therapists, or people who want to be therapists, feel like they have to have some kind of alter ego to be a therapist, and Mm -hmm. they need to, like, set everything they think about anything, like, aside, or just Mm -hmm. be that kind of blank slate, but I imagine that would be so much harder than operating within a theory that complements your strengths. Mm-hmm. which is what you found. Definitely. I, I mean, I I don't need to add more work to what I already have to do. And why would I try to alter who I am for the purpose? I feel like you only do harm that way, mm-hmm. not being yourself. And you know, I, I tell my patients all the time, like, this is who I am here and outside of here. Obviously, I operate under certain restrictions while I'm here, but the personality is the same. And why would I change that if in my personal life, it's my personality that has been able to help my family and my friends and just be that person that people talk to? I mean, I'm not trying to, that's who I'm bringing into my job, that person that is empathetic and challenging and humorous and kind. I think that that's what I would want in a therapist for myself. And that's why the clients that stay with you stay with you mm-hmm. because there's different fits of different therapists for different types of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's like missed a lot of the time or in, in grad school, it can feel like you have to fit yourself into the mold of like being able to work with any type of person, any type of client. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that not everyone will feel comfortable with you and not everyone will feel like they can relate to you. And that's okay because the people who can relate to you, the people who do kind of click with you in the first couple sessions and trust you more easily, those are the clients that are going to make the most progress because of the therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. And if you are not able to acknowledge that, then you're doing a huge disservice to everybody. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of when I'm not clicking with somebody or someone's not clicking with me. And I... I make sure that without telling them, Hey, like, I don't think you're clicking with me. Um, I make sure to let them know and feel comfortable. Like if you like, 
without saying, hey, you can go if you want to. It's it's more <laughs> so like letting them know, feel free to make the choices that are best for you. I'm not here for me. We're here for you. And what is it that you need? Let's get that achieved. And that may or may not be me. It's it's important to not take that personally because it has nothing to do with you. Like this is about me. And if you can put that aside and just focus on what do what does this person need? Like they are the ones taking time out of their day, money out of their pocket, and courage to just come open up to somebody. You have to make sure that you are preserving their willingness to do that and not taint their experience by trying to force a relationship that isn't going to happen. That is so important about honoring the investment that they're making and being able to try your best to fit them with someone where that investment will return for them and they can move closer to their goals. I love that. Mm -hmm. So to kind of wrap up our time together today, I feel like I could keep asking you a million questions or we could keep just riffing on a bunch of different things. Um, But I'd love to just ask you one last question, which is about, you know, what would your younger self think about where you are now? Like you're you're now a co-owner of a successful practice, it's a private practice. What would your younger self just thinking like, oh, I think I could be a therapist, like what would she say? How would she feel looking at you now? So if I could talk to my younger self, that would, it would go, I mean, I, I would, I would have never had any idea that I would be where I'm at right now. But I also feel like I, I always had like, I, it's tough because I I try to think about it. It's like I always believed in myself, mm-hmm. but I had no idea that this would be where I got to be. I am so, so proud of myself because I was the first person in my whole entire family to finish college. And that was like nice in of itself. But, you know, like coming from a immigrant family from Cuba that you know, it just worked their absolute hardest to make ends meet. Being able to do what I love is something that I I wish I could have told myself, like, you're going to be able to do what you love. You're going to be okay. And you're more than okay. You're going to be successful. And success to me is, is different than I think what others might find success or define success as. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I told you before I, my husband's always been so supportive of me. He, he supported me while I was doing my master's because I, yeah, I was working, but I wasn't making a whole tons of money. Um, and what I pride myself in is that I still, I'm not making tons of money because what I really wanted out of my life was to do what I love but to also be able to live my life, you know, I have a two-year-old son and I, like, like I said earlier, I really value just doing things that are fun for myself. So I get to work much less hours, you know, so on an hourly basis, yes, I make more than my husband, but that means I don't have to work as much as he does to earn similarly. Mm -hmm. And 
I would have never thought that this is where I would be. And specifically just as an owner of a practice, a, like a business owner, that's, that's, that's just so unreal to me. Sometimes I still tell my husband or I even tell my business partner, I, I cannot believe like this is, mm. sometimes I forget that this is what I do. Like I, I feel so lucky. And even the other day I was actually telling my business partner, Lori, that I was just thinking to myself, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And the question was a little bit like anxiety provoking, but the answer was so relieving. And I was like, yes, this is, this is great. Mm. Uh, well, thank you so much for like answering that question so vulnerably too. I feel like I could hear the emotion, the smile, like all of the things in your voice, just how, how genuinely proud of yourself that you are and how unexpected this was for your younger self to to ever know, to ever be able to even imagine. And that's just, that's so special. Yeah. And I, I just, I want people, uh, to know that are trying to be a therapist. It it's, it's very difficult upfront. Like I've, I've said it so many times. I've probably said it to you to be a therapist. Like you basically, you, I always say you have to pay your dues up front and that's when you have to work in like community mental health and do long hours and have a huge caseload. But when you, if you're doing something that you really enjoy, it's, it's so fulfilling. And if you want to do something like a private practice one day, then it personally for me, that's just everything I wanted and it was so worth it. What a great note to end on today. Just that encouragement to people interested in being therapists, like you said, that the process and journey may be hard at first because you're putting in a lot of investment and you're not seeing as much return yet. But later on, you get the return of this fulfilling career where you're doing what you love and getting to use your personal strengths um, and natural tendencies to really help other people move towards their goals and, and live a meaningful lives too. That's a wrap on this episode of You Could Be a Therapist. New episodes will be airing weekly, so make sure to follow You Could Be a Therapist anywhere you listen to podcasts and at Potential Therapist on Instagram. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. Until next time.